if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, you can say it either way you'd like. It is a um, one of the most fun names of a book in the Bible, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, whichever way you want to go with it. And it is one of the last five books in the Old Testament. So we are almost done with our Old Testament part of the love letter that we have been reading. We will start in Matthew in June, but we will be at the last, this is the last Sunday before Easter where we're going to, you know, so next week is Palm Sunday, the week after that is Easter. We won't be doing this series for those two Sundays. Then the following Sunday, I'm gone, so we will have someone else preaching, and they will probably preach something else. So we'll start back up in May, and for May, we'll go through our last four books of the Old Testament, and then uh, in June, we will start in Matthew. So exciting that we have almost gotten all the way through... um, through the Old Testament part of Scripture. And as we get ready to read uh, Habakkuk, I ask you to stand. We're going to read two different little sections here. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, and then chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. But as always, we're going to start with our key verse for the whole series, which is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Habakkuk 1, 2 through 5, 3, 17 to 19. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. Then there is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Then Chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. One of the reasons that we have done a series on the entire Bible is because I really, really love this book. And I love this book for a lot of different reasons. 
mainly because it gives us a lot of information about God, but it always shows us actual real people who live real lives, who do real things, who have real questions. And when we start out reading this book of Habakkuk and we see that he comes to God with a complaint, it's actually listed with a little heading in most Bibles. It says Habakkuk's complaint. And it's saying that he is coming to God and telling him how he feels. And it's not a pleasant feeling that he is experiencing. It's not something great. He's not worshiping right at the moment. He's mad. He's lamenting the lack of justice in Judah, where he lives. Judah's leaders have wandered far from God, and things are not right. People are not being treated well. He stands up and looks around and sees people being mistreated and abused, and he hates it. It's not about him specifically, but it is about what is happening in the world around him. And we know about this complaint because he takes it directly to the throne of God and says, uh, Hey God, what the heck? What is happening? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you seeing what I'm seeing? Why aren't you doing something about it? This isn't right. And he doesn't hold back any more than he would if he was making his complaint to his neighbor or his friends. What's great is God answers him. And God doesn't give him all of the answer that he would like. In fact, we continue through the book and there's more to Habakkuk's complaint. But God gives him some information about how the wicked will be brought to justice. In Judah, that happens through the Babylonians. We know this. This is, again, by virtue of other wicked peoples. They will be, there will be exile. There will be challenges. But the Babylonians will answer Habakkuk's complaint by taking care of the evil in Judah at this point. But notice that God doesn't berate Habakkuk for asking. Instead, God provides an answer that says the evil hasn't gone unnoticed and that God is at work. So Habakkuk hears this. Maybe he processes for a minute. And then if you continue reading, he says, well, um, that's great, God. Really appreciate it that you're paying attention, that you see what's happening, that you know what's going on. Um, little problem. Uh, Babylon's not that great. <laughs> Have you noticed they're also not really nice to people? They're kind of, you know, not exactly a bastion of justice either. And God says, uh, God does answer back to him again. And he says, yes, I'm aware that that's the situation. And he says, I 
have a plan for that as well. You know, Habakkuk's question, which is really about why God allows evil in the world, why does God let evil people prosper? Why does God let the bad guys win? Is one that we have too. Uh, well, okay, maybe it's just me. I ask that question sometimes. Why do the bad guys win? Why do the bad guys seem to get ahead? Why does it seem like the evil corporate CEOs get lots of money and other people don't? Why does it seem like there are so many people who are suffering and hungry and going without, and then there are so many who are buying $4,000 shoes? Why is it like that, God? And you see, God's answer to Habakkuk is an answer to us as well. And it is that God says, I am doing something about it. You see, when we understand who God is, we can understand how God operates, what God does. When we know that God operates from a place of perfect love and that he also gives us the opportunity to choose to do good or to do bad, then we know that what is really happening in the world is that people who choose evil are making that choice because they're allowed to. Because God doesn't want worship from people that is forced. He wants people to worship him because they love him. And they choose to love him. So, because God allows people to make their own choices, and there are lots of people who choose other than love and kindness or selfish or selflessness, we see the results. We see evil in the world. But thanks be to God. God has finally abolished all evil in the world. And he has abolished death. And we can know that because he has done it in the person of Jesus and in the act of the resurrection. Habakkuk didn't have that knowledge. We do. But our final connection to Habakkuk comes in because we also are waiting. God has already moved to act against evil. God has poured out the Holy Spirit and made it possible for those of us who follow Jesus to do differently, to live differently, to love completely. But even as we live in this time where we can make peace, and live graciously, we too struggle with what we see happening around us. And we struggle with waiting for God to finish what he started. And God tells Habakkuk, and God tells us to wait, to hold on to the promise that we know the new thing he is going to do is going to be amazing and miraculous. That's what God tells Habakkuk. And even the Babylonians will not finally be permanent. Evil is never 
permanent. Evil does not ever prevail forever. And Habakkuk, even in his questions, proclaims that he will never stop praising God, no matter what happens, because God has proven faithful. Listen again to Habakkuk's words in chapter 3, just in case you didn't hear them clearly the first time or you've forgotten. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Habakkuk recognizes that God has not left him alone. That even if starvation seems imminent, even if it looks as though all is lost, God is trustworthy and faithful and he can be joyful resting in God's strength, even as his own is failing. Please note that Habakkuk does not anticipate that God will fix all of his problems. Rather, because he knows that God has answered him, and that God has promised him that ultimately evil will be addressed, he knows that God is paying attention and sees what is happening. God is working. He just can't always see it. And in the meantime, he knows that God's hand will prevail. We also live in a place where we can't always see God's action in the ways and times we would like. But we can rest in God's faithfulness. We know that God is at work and God is paying attention. We know that death has been overcome. We know that Jesus is alive. We know that Jesus is the person whose life and death proclaim over and over that sin and evil and bad are not going to win. Jesus taught us that we are part of the fight against that. When we live lives that reflect what Christ taught, when we love our neighbor, when we treat others kindly, when we pray, when we feed, when we clothe, when we do not seek revenge, when we give instead of take, when we act, when we do, when we are agents of good who are far more effective than any DC or Marvel comic book hero, we have the power in Christ to actually impact the people around us for good. That's the new thing that God has done. Part of what God promised Habakkuk, part of what Habakkuk and all of the New Testament witnesses were waiting for, the promise of the living Christ working and moving in each of us to love the world and conquer evil wherever we find it in our world today. So, did you know you were a superhero incognito? (coughs) Well, you are. Love your neighbor today and use your power. Let's pull out our blue sheets today. And ask you to read along where it's blue or bold, not blue. If it was blue, you wouldn't be able to read it. What does it mean to say God loves? God loves to create us 
to form us from the dust, to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death, to provide a rescue, a way back, through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live Peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Let's go love the world with him.